0: Welcome to the Forbes India Cover Story Podcast Series in association with the Indicast.com. I'm Abhishek and joining me to talk about this issue's cover is its author Rohin Dharmakumar, the Senior Assistant Editor. We've heard him many, many times before. Hi, Rohind.
1: Good evening, Abhishek. Great as always to be back on your show.
0: Thank you. And this time, Rohin, we also have with us uh, a guest, the co-founder and chairman of Mindtree consulting and the author of books like Go Kiss the World, The High Performance Entrepreneur and more recently, The Professional. He's also a regular columnist in Forbes India, that's Subrathur Bhakchi. Hello Mr. Bhakchi, it's great to have you on the call.
1: Yeah,
2: Avisek, how are you and Rohin? um, I've been a long time admirer and one short correction, Avisek. We used to be Mindsy Consulting, we no more are, we are Mindsy Limited. But uh, really for the conversation this evening, that shouldn't matter. And it's wonderful to be on your conversation.
0: Thank you. Before we get started, Mr. Bhakshi, with your opinions on what the central idea of this cover story is, Uh, Rohan, could you please give us a background on the high-profile resignation that took place in the previous week and, of course, your cover story that talks about it?
1: Abhishek, so what we've done with this story, if you kind of go by the very clever headline that my colleagues have got on the cover, which is essentially why good men do mad things, I think that smartly capture the essence of the story but what we've done is gone behind sort of the implosion that's happened at OnMobile over the last few weeks to a few months culminating in the resignation of its co-founder last week we have tried to kind of dig up and figure out why that happened were there early signs of it how did it kind of finally start falling apart and possibly where does OnMobile go from here
0: so what did you find out how big was the the misdemeanor of the crime or the misappropriation, What what is the word that you would choose to describe this? So let's
1: go with misappropriation, suitably neutral word. You know, the surprising thing is, considering the size of the company, I mean, the company has a revenue of over 600 crores and fairly international company. According to our reporting, the size of the misappropriation is just of the order of maybe rupees 10 to 12 crores, which isn't all that much, considering the size of the scams that we've been seeing in India, in, in telecom, in corporates, etc., I won't dwell too much on what was the overall amount involved, but I think what's more interesting is why that scam or that misappropriation came to be and why it's such a promising company and why it's such a smart and Arvindra or the co founder is a fantastically smart person who makes all the right checks. IIT Bombay, Wharton, McKinsey, Private Equity and you know, on mobile why would someone of that caliber and status get connected to something like this? That's essentially what we try to uncover, going beyond just what was the amount to try and understanding why did it happen and where does On Mobile go from here.
0: Mr. Bakshi, would you want to take a shot at this? Uh, Rohan just mentioned the headline which says it all. Uh, why do good people do mad things, especially if they are, in Rohan's words, fantastically smart? We have we've been seeing this in the recent past, whether it's a... Minor change in a resume by Scott Thompson, who claimed that he had a computer degree that he actually didn't have. Or, of course, we had Ramalinga Raju of uh, Satyam. So, why do entrepreneurs and businessmen, why are they slipping up on morals so often, according to you, Mr. Bakshi?
2: It's very interesting what um, you know, Rohini was saying. In the conversation, we heard the word good a couple of times. And we heard the statement, why good people do this or good people do that. We need to distinguish between smart people and good people. Smart people do stupid things. Good people don't do stupid things. There is a distinction between professional qualification, where you talk about, here, this guy was in McKinsey, I went to Yale or Wharton or whatever. So that's all about professional competence. Integrity is the dividing line between competence and professionalism. So what these people have failed is the integrity test. And going back, your question and Rohin's answer were very interesting. 12 crore came up as a small, quote-unquote, small thing. They said, hey, you know, here's 12 crores and here is Telecom Raja who swindled maybe 2,000, 3,000, 5,000 crores. So 12 crores is like small change. You know what? That logic doesn't stand the amount is not material when it comes to the issue of integrity it is not the amount it is the loss of your capacity to judge it's a loss of self awareness the question is if you lost it once you know are you somebody who we can trust later so 12 crores doesn't matter
1: You know, very interesting point Mr. Bakshi raises. If we go back a couple of years and we saw how Mark Hurd, BHP chairman, was forced to resign, and that entire controversy emanated from the fact that he seemed to be fudging his travel bills. From there on, it kind of snowballed into something else. But just to kind of come back to the point Mr. Bakshi made that it doesn't matter how large the sum is. Now, Mr. Bakshi, is this realistic in the Indian context? Because... Frankly, I've had people telling me that, look, what are these issues that you talk about at Flipkart? Practically every Indian company has issues much larger than those. So it becomes like a relative comparison of, hey, what I'm doing is much less worse than what everybody else is doing. So in an organization, the employee who's, Fudging his medical bills and travel claims is justifying it, thinking, you know, the guy above me is doing something much bigger. Can someone truly be that honest in the context of, especially Indian corporates?
2: There's nothing about Indian corporates here, it's about corporates in particular, business in uh, general, and it is what is called deflection. If you go down that path, then no conversation is necessary. I could kill someone and say, what's the big deal, you know, Idi Amin? He was responsible for genocide, even ate human flesh, and look where he is now. You know, He's got his harem, he's got his palace in Saudi Arabia, and he's fine. But for thinking people, for responsible people, that is not the right way of looking at things. You're absolutely right that all you have to do is step out of your house, look at the world around, and you'll find all these instances of people who are having a field day. And then you come back and say, you know, so is it right for me even to be having this conversation? Am I the only one who's preaching celibacy in a teenager's club? We need to understand the whole issue of sustainability. What is sustainable behavior? And what is the larger picture? The larger picture here is India itself. Would the world like to deal with corrupt India? Or does India have better chance of acceptability in the mainstream of world business and world politics if India was an upright country or India would be seen as an upright nation? Now, if you look at that construct, you will realize that we can't take uh, refuge in saying, oh, so this guy is doing it, that guy is doing a bigger thing, so you know, what's the big deal out here? Even if for a moment we are a minority. You know, the voice of reason is a minority, the voice of integrity is a minority. We need to remind ourselves that throughout human history, good was always in minority.
0: And what would uh, you say, Mr. Bakhti, if an executive says that it's okay to bribe an authority, let's say 50,000 rupees, because it lets me secure a plot on which I'm going to build a factory which will eventually employ, say, 100 people. So that executive might just rationalize and say... Hey, look, 50,000 under the table has created jobs for 100 people, which is just great. Can such misdemeanors be condoned, uh, considering the practicalities of, of doing business in not just India, abroad as well?
2: You know the fundamental problem? The fundamental problem in India is that we think that law is a substitute for character. Unfortunately, that's not the case. If you build an organization on the strength of character, it may be tough. It may take longer, but it has its own values. It has its own sustainability. The moment you say, you know, so what's the big deal? I will bribe to be able to employ 100 guys. What you are losing is the character. And given that kind of organization that you build, this is not going to stop here. This deflection, this whole approach of justification will repeat itself. And each time, the quantum will become bigger. So what we have here is a crisis of character. You know, I always look at the fascinating things around us and I say that uh, in the professional world there is this whole issue of need versus justification. Do I need to pay the bribe? No. Do I have justifications to pay the bribe? Of course, yes. The moment you say need, you are in a different territory. So who the hell told you to start the company? Is there a need to start a company? If bribing is the only way to start a company, don't start a company. You know, go and open a pawn shop. Go and work for a multinational company. Go and work for an Indian company. So you don't say that I'm bribing because of a reason outside of me. I'm bribing because I don't want to actually sustain the torture of the administration. I don't want to sustain the tough path. And I'm taking an exit option. I'm taking the easy way out.
0: Right. Mr. So Vakshi, you meet entrepreneurs. You know, you've you've mentored many of them. Have you found instances where companies are getting it right? Where the culture is such that an individual will not even consider bribe as an option. We hear great speeches from CEOs, but we don't know them. You meet so many of them in the line of business. So, are there companies which are virtuous in today's world, where if you don't get that plot of land, your competitor will?
2: It's very tough. It's very, very tough because, by the way, we have raised the company for the last 13 years. We built a more than $400 million company today. And we can get away by not paying a price. But the story, you know, three techies started a company. They were telling me this uh, story. They were very small, three techies. Maybe they employed 40, 50, 60 people. And uh, one day, a white shirt, white linen shirt, please note, and white trouser and white shoe-wearing guy walks in and says, you know, I'm from the local party and we have a fundraising here. We want you to contribute to it. This guy is stunned and he doesn't know what to do. This guy looks as you know authentic as it does, also looks reasonably threatening, and the entrepreneur doesn't know how to react to it. So, in a moment of weakness, gives him the money. That's the last he sees of him, by the way. But there is this sense of fear that I have to take care of unofficial requirements of uh, all kinds of power structures in the system to be able to do business. If it is not this guy, then it will be the local police station. If it's not the local police station of this guy, then it will be the MLA, or the would-be MLA. The biggest challenge for small entrepreneurs in this country is to withstand corrupt behavior, because there is a tendency in the system to, quote-unquote, prey on citizens to prey on anybody who's trying to do something on his own, because the system says, okay, give me my cut. Okay, so here is this three you know, techies is trying to build a company here, and here comes this white-pant, white-shirt guy. If this was in the United States, this was in France, this was in England, the entrepreneur would have just spat on his face and said, just be here, let me make a phone call. And the cops would have heard him. But in this country, you can't do that. And I must tell you that I'm very realistic about what is happening on the ground. On the ground, the fact of the matter, it's very difficult to stand straight. Okay, it's very difficult to say that, no, you know, um, I will do what is right and not what is expedient. The other very important thing is the social milieu. I was uh, writing this book called NB at 16, and I spent several weekends with uh, 16-year-old kids from a school. And the kids are saying, so what's the big deal about going to jail for two months if you can make 20 crores? And you have a hard time answering that question. So you incidentally said 12 crores, right? And whether 12 crores is a big deal? 12 crores for a 10th standard guy is a big deal. And what's wrong in taking some bad press for a short while? Anyway, people will forget. Tomorrow will be another day. Okay, another guy is just waiting in the wings for making a much bigger scandal than this. What's it's a big deal. If I can pocket 12 crores uh, and I have a you know, BMW 7 Series and a sea facing house, uh, as uh, lamented by this man called Rohin Dharmagumar, you know what? There's nothing uncool about it.
0: Can something be done to remedy this at the school or the B school level? Rohin, you have graduated from IM Bangalore, which is one of the most prestigious B schools in India. So, how much focus is there in colleges for ethics or can this be taught? Uh,
1: abhishek i am from i am calcutta i will rephrase <laughs> which, that
0: don't worry i will just rephrase no, no, no that. don't worry
1: i mean that, that that's no problem at all but let's not go all that far back let me ask mr Bhakti something which is much more contemporary in the context of all these incidents in many of these cases mr Bhakti, we've seen in most cases there is a the cult of the leader right the glamorous ceo the guy who made the company the guy who's been you know delivering year after year of like double digit growth so what or who can essentially temper him or her or offer a counter or balance him out. Should it not be the board and independent directors? How do you read the role of corporate boards and what's the role of the independent director in such circumstances?
2: Before I answer Rohin, I'll go back to Avishik's question. I'm on the governing board of Bayam Bangalore and I spoke to the director a couple of months back because all this stuff was coming in, Rajat Gupta and this and that. And I said, don't we teach governance and ethics? And he said, no, we don't. I said, you know, how come? Not even as an elective. He says, in most business schools, it's not even an elective. In some, it is an elective. It's not compulsory at all. Nobody's taught about the definition of integrity. Nobody's taught about corporate governance. And I said, how come? He replied to me, he said that there are Good number of students who come back and say that prior to coming to IIN, I had some sense of good or bad, but once I went through these two years, I actually became more materialistic and less in terms of my capacity to question morality and ethicality and stuff like that. And I'm stunned because if we don't think it is core and it is important that we need to discuss this subject compulsorily in management schools, why are we crying foul when a CEO goes overboard? And by the way, if you look at all these scandals in recent times in India and overseas, they have been committed by people highly qualified. These are people who are, who went to Wharton, people who went to Yale, who went to Harvard, my question is, what are we teaching there? Is morality and corporate governance an extra? Is it a nice-to-have but not essential-to-have essential thing? And if it is such an unimportant thing, why are freaking out? And how come the ministry in India that owns the IAMS has not thought about it? And in fact, I'm going to agitate about it. I plan to write to all the directors of IAMS. Leaving that aside, now over to the conversation about the board that Rohin talked about. Most board members, you go and do a poll in India and ask them the meaning of the word groupthink. I can bet the majority will not know what the term means. A noted Yale researcher came with this term called groupthink. In groupthink, what happens is that a group of people, like a board of directors, they get carried away with the idea of what is called false harmony. When a group of people meet, they think that the purpose of every meeting is to come to a harmonious conclusion. So a Sathyaam board is meeting, on mobile board is meeting, Martha Stewart's board is meeting. The purpose of a meeting is not to come out with harmony. The par- purpose of a meeting is to come out with the right decision. When you are a board member, more than an obligation to join a club of false harmony, you have a responsibility of defect. And you know what? If you exercise that responsibility, you can become history. Imagine that you know, the prime minister wants to go to war. The defense minister, Raksha Mantri, says, our forces are ready. And you are the defense secretary to government of India. He said I don't think it's the right thing to do. That may be end of career. After that, nobody may make you cabinet secretary. But you know what? You are choosing the right over the expedient. It takes guts and moral courage to do it. So when you look at board members, board members are not taught about fundamental issues like groupthink and where it can land you. They're not taught about the first requirement to join a board, which is not the right, but the responsibility of dissent. Most significant management failures and moral failures are about the inability to ask critical questions. Critical questioning is a matter of long-drawn practice. It's, it's, it doesn't come because you went to Watton or Yale or Harvard or Ann.
0: Right. Can companies just like... People like to call that corruption is institutionalized, let's say. It's it's a jargon. But can there be a process to integrity? Can a company have a process to ensure that these things do not happen? I know it's it's tough and it's very subjective, but is there a solution to this? What do you preach when you go to talk to young entrepreneurs? What is the solution to this? You know, first and
2: foremost, I believe that it is possible to be good. It pays to be good. In the history of the world, good was always in minority. I was very distraught about it until I went to the Sistine Chapel in Rome. And those of you who have gone there, you notice that it is an art gallery which captures the history of Rome. At one stage, I was stunned to see a series of paintings that depict the punishment doled out to Christians in Rome during a certain period in history. So if you were a Christian in Rome, you're punished. And you know what punishment? Your head was cut off. And here we are, the capital of Christianity. And a few hundred years back, if you're a Christian, in the same place, your head was cut off. Then I learned that it lasted 300 years. For 300 years, you could not practice Christianity in Rome. So, what happened? A very small set of people, secretly, behind closed doors, they continued Christian traditions so that they passed it on from one generation to another generation to another generation. So imagine five generations, people secretly practiced their faith. Christianity is not the issue, faith. Before the same place became capital of Christianity. If you look at India today, and within that you look at the whole world of business, we are probably going through something like that. And we are getting frustrated that, oh, we fought corruption or corporate governance for issues for just one generation, nothing is happening. We have to have the tenacity to run this battle for 300 years, 150 years maybe, with personal risks involved, like your head being cut off. It's not about going to jail for two months and coming back as a hero. You pay a very deeply personal price. There's no shortcut to how Rome was built, Rome was lost, and how Rome became the capital of the Catholic Christianity of the world. So what we are going through today is just a matter of one generation and no major significant historical change is going to happen in just one generation with one on mobile, with one satyam. So the forces of good have to understand that they will be in minority. It will be a long haul and the job of good in those 300 long years, is not to fight evil. The job of good is to preserve itself.
0: We can end on that slightly hopeful note and an optimistic one. Thank you very much, Mr. Bakshi, again.
1: Thanks. Good night, Thank you, Mr. Bakshi, for taking the time out.